Welcome to the orchard. So glad you're here. It's seven degrees, I think, or so this morning. We are here, and I, I, I just I met some new people who are here with us, some old friends and, and some people who are here for the first time, and we are on our, their first time is on our last week of the Genesis series, the last week of Joseph, and so um, how, how do you contextualize an entire series um, in the last week? But I'm going to try to catch us up because here's what I know as we close the book on Genesis and the end of the life of Joseph is that God has something for you. Whatever you come in here with, whether someone dragged you to church, whether you didn't want to be here, or whether you're here just, to, you, you, have, you need something from God, like I'm, I'm back and I need something. God has something for you today. And so that's my, my prayer, is that he's going to translate my words to your heart, and you can leave here with something new. We're looking at the life of Joseph, Joseph in the Old Testament, and you'll remember he was a 17-year-old boy when we first met him, and he had the coat of many colors, which his daddy gave to him, and that coat was his father's favor. Like, Joseph, you're my favorite. And yes, you have 10 older brothers, but you, baby boy, are the one that I love the most. And he would go, and he would tattle on his brothers, and, and he, he would tell them his dreams. Hey, I had a dream where all 10 of you big brothers bowed down to me. I mean, we've all had little brothers, right? right? You know? Um, if my brother, little brother told me that dream, I would, I, would, I would do something as well. Now, I wouldn't do what they did. They, they took the robe off Joseph, they ripped it and put blood on it and told their daddy was dead and they threw him into a pit. And so he went from favored son to being in the pit of life. And we talked in the past weeks how we have all been in the pit. We have been through seasons where circumstances or decisions by others have cast us from the life that we wanted. And we found ourselves from living the way we wanted, the life we wanted, and all of a sudden, just in the pit of grief, betrayal, sadness, disappointment, life puts us in these places, doesn't it? Well, they didn't, he didn't stay in a pit because one of his brothers had a great idea to sell him into slavery, human trafficked. So they pulled him out of the pit and Joseph watched as they sold him to, to some slave traders and he was taken off to Egypt. He watched his entire life that he, he once had leave. He left it. And some of you have had this experience too as, as something has been done to you or you've made decisions that have cost you your entire life. Everything that you had loved has been taken from you. He was taken into slavery and he was, had to work in the, the house of a man named Potiphar. He worked for a man named Potiphar in a job he didn't want, a job without purpose, and he was there for many years, likely. And many of you have worked for Potiphar and currently are. And if your boss is in the room, you know, don't look at him right now. Um, but we've all had those seasons of life, like where we, we all have, we've all had those seasons of life where, where is the purpose? Like, I'm supposed to be, I'm meant for something more than this, surely. Like, we've had seasons without purpose. Well, in this season with Potiphar, he was approached by Potiphar's wife who wanted him to make some really bad sinful decisions, but, but Joseph's character didn't crumble. He resisted temptation, and she falsely accused him of raping her, and he was sent to prison. So his, his life has just been one thing after a pit, and then Potiphar, and now he finds himself in prison, and we've all been in times of prison as well. We, some of our prisons are prisons of our own making. Like we have of addiction or, or decisions we've made and we've locked ourselves in or, or sometimes pr prison can be depression, anxiety or, or whatever it would be. We have seasons of prison in our life where the life we want seems removed from us and he was down there for a long time. I mean, you're always in prison longer than you want, right? And so he, then the cupbearer comes down and he tells the cupbearer his dream and the cupbearer goes back up to Pharaoh and Joseph's last words were, don't forget me. Like when you get to Pharaoh, don't forget me. Tell him that I can interpret dreams or do good things. And 
and get me out of here. And it says two more years passed. I mean, he's just through the prison for so long. And finally, Pharaoh has a dream and, he, and no one can interpret it. But the, the cupbearer says, oh, I remember this guy in prison. He interprets dreams. So Joseph is brought from the prison to the palace in front of Pharaoh and God gives him interpretation of these dreams that there'll be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine and that Pharaoh better prepare. And Pharaoh hears this dream interpretation and goes, whoa, we need somebody who can take our nation through this famine. How about you, Joseph? Joseph goes from the prison to the second most powerful man on the planet, only to Pharaoh. He makes decisions for everybody. He begins to, to store up grain and he begins to, to get grain through the seven years of plenty and then that, that, the years of plenty, they come and go and the famine starts. And, and then they said that the famine was so bad that you forget there was ever any years of plenty. The famine was terrible. It was felt in nations around them. In fact, it was felt far enough that Joseph's brothers, his family, back where they were, they need food. And so Jacob, he sends, his, he sends those 10 brothers, the ones that had sold Joseph into slavery, he sends them down to Egypt. And they come before Joseph and they bow down before him, just like he had dreamed. They don't know it's him. I mean, he's an Egyptian royal, dressed like one, speaks like an Egyptian, dances like an Egyptian, everything. He's an Egyptian. And so they don't recognize him and he begins to put them through different tests. He wants to see, are these brothers of mine any different or are they the same? Have they changed at all? Are they still looking to make money off, off of selling people and getting rid of people? So he says, you know what? How about this, brothers? Bring me that baby brother, Benjamin, who was his full brother, his only full brother, and Benjamin was now the favorite of their father, and he would not let him come. But the famine got so intense, the dad's like, okay, take Benjamin. But nothing better happened to him because my son Joseph at one point left me and never came back. So here we are in Genesis 44. And the brothers are bowing low before Joseph. They have no idea it's their brother. And he asked this question that he's been wanting to ask. And he says, and remember, through an interpreter, he says, how is your father, that old man you spoke about, is he still alive? And the brothers down there in front of him say, yes, our father, your servant is alive and well. well and they bowed low again. Because like, they need, he brings, he has salvation. He has food. He has the grain. They need his favor. So then Joseph looked at his brother Benjamin. And I bet his brother Benjamin, who was the only brother there who they shared Rachel as their mother. I bet he looked at Benjamin and there were some similarities to his mom's face. Or his own. And he says he, he looked at his brother Benjamin, the son of his own mother. And he says, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? May God be gracious to you, my son, Joseph told Benjamin. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went back into a private room, broke down and wept, washed his face, came back out and keeping control of himself. So we see that, that, that Joseph is... He's having quite an emotional moment through all these moments because he knows, he knows what's happening here, but the brothers have no clue. So he's still testing them. He's still testing to see if they are changed. And he says, you know what? How about this? You leave, Benji, you leave little Benji. Leave Benji with me. He'll leave here in Egypt. I'll give you guys all the grain you want to go back to your daddy. Like, let me keep the favored son. He's challenging. He's testing. Now, Joseph... He remembers in his past where he had been thrown into a pit by these very same brothers. And he had been pleading for his life. It says they heard his distress of his soul and they ignored it. He had been pleading with them. These same brothers. 
But the announcement that Benjamin will remain in Egypt, when Joseph says Benjamin will remain here in Egypt, one of the older brothers, Judah, steps forward. Now, at the, at the time previously, when Joseph had been in the pit, guess who'd step forward? Judah. And Judah had said, you know, let's not, let's not kill Joseph, the favored son. Let's sell him into slavery and make some money. Like, why, let's, let's make some money off this guy. And so Judah stepped forward and arranged to have Joseph sold. Uh, Joseph stood there and watched Judah barter for how much his life was worth. And here in Genesis 44, that same Judah, the betrayer, the one who sold him into slavery, he steps forward. And, and will he ask for personal gain? Like, will he say, you know what? You keep Benji. You keep him. We'll take the grain and the silver and we'll go. Has Judah changed at all? And in his speech, Joseph finds the answers he needs. Listen to what Judah says. He's, he's before Joseph. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy, Benjamin. My Lord, I guaranteed to my father that I would take care of him. I told him, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame forever. So please, my Lord, let me stay here. Let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. And let the boy return to his brothers, with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish this would cause my father. Judah had seen anguish on the father's face before when another favored son had, had not made the journey back. He had seen it before, hadn't he? And through his life, there had been enough life change where Judah, the speaker for the brothers, instead of saying, yeah, take him and, and, and to give us some, some grain. No, no, he watches, Joseph watches, is the brother who sold him says, no, take me. I'll be your slave, but spare him. Oh, would Joseph had loved if Judah had done that in those days. There were no brothers here trying to sell favored sons to make money. They were changed. They were willing to sacrifice themselves. And Joseph, seeing this, and having been there when Judah sold him, Joseph was struck. And it says, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants in Egyptian, Out, all of you! And it empties of all the Egyptian. There's the brothers. And it says, he broke down and wept. And he wept so loudly, the Egyptians could hear him. And the word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. Now I want you to, to place yourself in this scene, not as Joseph, but as one of those brothers. As one of those brothers there who, who's before him. And this Egyptian ruler has been testing you and sending you back and forth with, with grain and money. And now you had to bring your little brother. Now he's going to keep your brother. You had no idea that this, this man is anything but an, an Egyptian ruler. He, he looks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. He's on a throne. He's dressed in royalty. He, he spoke in no Hebrew. This is completely out of context. He only speaks through interpreters. There's attendants everywhere, guards and handlers. And, and, and at Judah's speech, you watch as this ruler, he's struck. And his eyes start to fill up with tears. His hand begins to tremble. And he yells at all the attendants, out everyone in Egyptian. And there you are left with this man who controls the fate of you and your family. And he begins to weep, a guttural weeping. And he begins to speak to you. You don't know what's going on. This is, you can't fathom what is happening here. This Egyptian ruler begins to speak to you, but not in Egyptian, but in Hebrew. He says in verse three, I am Joseph. Is my father truly still alive? The brothers were speechless. Well, yeah, they are. 
Of course they are. They thought he was dead. You can't, and they're like, they're trying to put it together. It's like the end of Sixth Sense. Spoiler alert, they're, he's dead the whole time. Um, they're trying to put it all together like, what? You're Joseph? Like, what? They're speechless. They were stunned to realize it was Joseph standing there in front of them. He says, please come closer. So they came closer. And again, he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery. I like how he just reminds them there. Like, you remember? You remember? The one you sold into slavery. Now he's not rubbing it in. He's just broken. He's trying to like, remember. That's the last time he remembers them before all this stuff. Was, remember that I was that boy. That was me and it's still me. He goes on to tell them how much God had moved through all his life to bring him to the place he is now. And, and Joseph, what does he want most? Well, he wants to see his dad. The dad who favored him. Then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves and so can you, my brother Benjamin, that I really am Joseph. It's really me. Go and tell our father, my father, of my honored position here in Egypt. Go tell him. Describe everything you have seen. And then bring my dad. Bring my dad quickly. Weeping with joy, he, he embraced Benjamin. And Benjamin, who'd grown up hearing of Joseph, hearing of this favored son, Benjamin it begins to weep too. And then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And they began to talk freely. And Pharaoh hears of this, of course. The, the, the weeping was so loud they could hear outside of this room. And Pharaoh hears what's happening. And, and he, he honors Joseph so much. Joseph has, has navigated the nation through this, this famine so far and through all the storehouses and the plenty. And he says, Joseph, you should go get your family and bring them here. We, they will have the best of the land for you, Joseph. Your father will live in luxury. And Joseph agrees and, and and he longs to see his dad, Jacob. The last time he saw Jacob, his dad had told him, hey, go check on your brothers. And he had been wearing that robe of many colors. He sends for his father and the family, and, and he waits for them. And they, meet a, they come to a certain place in Goshen, and it says, Joseph prepared his chariot, and he traveled to meet his father, Jacob. And when Joseph arrived, he embraced his old father, and he wept, holding him for a long time. How long had he just waited for that moment? In the pit with Potiphar, in the prison, to, to see his father. And Jacob does move down to Egypt, and they do get the best of the land, and Jacob lives longer, and then he, he, he blesses his sons, his 10 sons, and he blesses Joseph's sons as well, and he passes. And when Joseph's father, Jacob, dies, the brothers have one big question in their head. Oh no, now what? Like Joseph was really kind to us when daddy was around. He's, he's the favorite brother. I don't know if you know this, but we sold him into slavery. Oh, he reminded us. Yeah, he knows. Okay. I was hoping he'd forget that part. Yeah, he didn't. He remembers that part. Well, dad's gone. And he's in charge of everything. And he could have us executed by the blink of an eye. And no one would care. And so they bring this to, to Joseph and they, they begin to discuss this and what his father would want. And the verse of Joseph's answer is my favorite verse in the Old Testament. It's my favorite verse perhaps in the Bible. It's the verse that at one point, um, it was not a reality in my heart. It was a hope of mine. Like, you know, you see a lighthouse far off and you go, I hope someday. 
But, but that, this verse that I'm about to read has been planted in my heart and my hope today is that this verse will be one that from this point on you go, oh God, may that be true in me. May it be true in me. This verse is the key principle that each of you can plant in your life. No matter what God has brought you through, no matter what life has sent you through, no matter what you've been through, this verse can hold you. In Genesis 50, 20, Joseph says, all that you've done, it was intended to harm me, but God used it for good and the saving of me. What life intended to harm me, God used for the good. And I just wanna say that I know that everyone here who's in this place, Life has harmed you and people have betrayed you and things have, have gone poorly for you at different seasons. You know what it's like to have circumstances try to break you. You know what it's like to have life try to harm you. But, but if we step into this verse, it says this. He's saying, what others intended to destroy me, then God used that to develop me. What circumstances tried to crush me, God used those circumstances to create strength in me. What disease tried to rob from me? In that place, God raised up something new in me. The heartbreak that was meant to, to ruin me, God has used that very heartbreak to shape me. The breakdown that was meant to end me, God used that breakdown to build me up. He, every pit I was cast into, God used for the good. All that time of purposeless living when Potiphar got used for the good. All the time I was locked away in prison, God used it for the good. What I thought was breaking me, God used it to build me. What I thought was going to end me, God used to create me. What I thought was my breaking point, God said, this is the starting point for a new chapter. What I thought was going to destroy me and my dreams, God used to spark new dreams ahead for me. What was intended to harm me, God used it for the good. But that's not all. God didn't just use it for good. That's good enough, but that's not all God does. He goes on. It was intended to harm me, but God used it for good and the saving of many. Like God didn't just use it for Joseph's good. It was good for many. Not just for, for myself, but for other people. The things that were supposed to break us, build us, and apparently can, can build a breakthrough for somebody else. In other words, others are now saved because I was sifted. Others are now established because God had broken me. Because of the tribulation in my life, others know salvation in theirs. Don't you see? Your story has glory in it. From pit to palace, your story has glory written all over it. In fact, your pit, it had a purpose. In those years of purposeless living, it was preparing you for a new position. And your prison had a purpose of preparation. Your character was being built in those darkest of chapters. Your time of breaking, do you know what? Your time of breaking was building a breakthrough ahead for you. Your story has God's glory written all over it. And God doesn't let your pain go to waste. He doesn't let our bad decisions or what life throws at us go to waste. Your story, your, your journey, your darkest nights, those nights where you cried into the carpet, those nights where no one knows how hard it's been, those nights, those dark valleys and nights, God uses those to build into you something for good. And if you open your life, it will save others as you lead them to the God who did that. 
There are people who can be saved if you open up your story about what God brought you through. Your marriage has been through to hell and back and there are people in hell right now in pits of marriage that need to know where you've been. There are people who are, who are sick and you have dealt, you've dealt with this for so long. They need to hear your story. We need to open our lives and open our mouths and say, listen, I've been through the pit. I've been through the prison. I've worked for Potiphar. Let me tell you what God did to me. Let me tell you what God has done for me. Your story that you've been through wasn't just for your good in building. It was for the saving of others. There are people who need hope in the pit and you have been there. What life meant to harm you, God used for the good. And when you open your mouth and your life and tell others about it, he uses that for the saving of others. Genesis 50, 20. It was intended to harm me, but God used it for the good and saving of many. In this series, and I was just trying to catch somebody new up. I was like, oh, by the way, hey, I was divorced and all these bad things happened. They're like, what? Hey, nice to meet you. Um, uh, but I was trying to tell them like, you know, listen, there's a lot of context. In the last five weeks, I have opened up my life in a way that, that uh, I never have before publicly. And I spoke about my time in Atlanta at the mega church and, the, and all the things going right and the dreams happening and then the betrayal. The betrayal that struck me and the, and the, the following divorce and the brokenness and the dreams that died and, and how I thought God was done with me and at times how I was done with God. And the pits and the, and the purposelessness, the prisons. These are things that I, I believe and you guys have told me, I don't know if a lot of pastors preach that. <laughs> I did this very purposefully. I decided to open up, you know, talking with my wife, praying through it, decided to open up very purposely and intentionally for a reason. You know, 20 years ago, when I was still in the, 20 years ago when I was still in the hardest part of my story, I have some stuff written in my journal where God told me, he said, someday I'm gonna use your greatest pain for my greatest purpose. He said, someday your suffering will be your strength and your story will set others free. Now, back when he told me that, I thought that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. I just wanted out of the pain. And, and I, don't, I don't care if you use this, God. I don't care if it goes good. Just get me out. How could you even let this happen to me? Where are you to all those things? I felt like God say that someday all the brokenness, all that I'd been through would be worth it. But how is it worth it when you're still in the pit? And I remember I told a, uh, a mentor of mine, I said, yeah, God, I think God, God was telling me these things and, and someday it's gonna be worth it. And he goes, well, is it worth it yet? And I was like, no, no, it's not worth it at all. It's not even close. You see, I had this spreadsheet in my heart. I had this spreadsheet, and, and on this spreadsheet, this is, this is top-level church right here. This right here, I mean, you don't get these kind of graphics anywhere else but the orchard, okay? I had this spreadsheet in my life, and on this spreadsheet, I had, I, I had one side, all the things that I had, I had lost, all the, all the dreams that had died, all the brokenness, all the pain. It was just, I was just, I mean, writing in margins. There's not enough room. I'm, 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 there's so much loss in my life. Is it worth it? Are you kidding me? Have you ever been in those moments where something so tragic, so sad, life hands you such a circumstance or someone makes a, de a decision that's so harmful or the addiction's so deep and, and like you hear a preacher go, someday it'll all be worth it. Are you, are you kidding me? 
I would have said the same thing. I might have walked out. Are you kidding me? It's the friendships that I thought were for life, the, the marriage that I was betrayed in, the, the breakdown, the divorce, the ministry loss, the leaving. And then there's the little stuff, but it's not little at the time. Well, you got to sell the house and get rid of your stuff and move away and everything you know. And, and all those things just pile up, don't they? And the list gets really long in those seasons and it, it sucks. It's terrible. Amen. We all have some of this. We all have this. And for many years, this, this other side was just empty. I remember I'd wake up and I'd go, well, I'm still alive. And I put that over here. But there were some days that were so, so terrible. I was so depressed. I'd go, oh, I'll put that one over here. I'm still alive. <laughs> I'm serious. I was like, why am I even here? For many years, that other side just, just remained empty. And God said it would all be worth it. Like, you've got some lottery wins. God, like, I mean, you got to do some crazy things to make it worth it. What life intended to harm me, God used for the good and the saving of many. Now, Joseph had no clue what God was going to do with his pains and losses, did he? He knew this. He's in the pit. He's in the prison. He's with Potiphar. I mean, he, all he knows is this. He had no idea what God was going to do. I had no idea ever. But the most amazing thing began to happen in the midst. In the margin of my loss, God began to work some, some miracles. He began to work some miracles in the loss. Not in spite of the loss, God can work miracles in the losses. Joseph felt this as well. And, and before his brothers had even showed up, and previously in the story, he has two sons. And his sons' names, the names he gives them, give us an indication of work that God is doing deep in Joseph's life that he wants to do in your life, he wants to do in my life. It says he named his first son. And Joseph named his older son Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Manasseh, God has caused me to forget my past pains and losses. Now, now, he didn't forget his brother's faces or names or what they did because he tells them. He knows about it. He's like, wait, who are these 10 guys? No, he remembers who they are and what they did. Joseph hasn't forgotten their names or actions, but he's the sting, the bitterness, the pain of those seasons the despair of losing his family, the despair of all that he's lost. God has called me to lay down the bitterness. God has called me to forget the, my need for revenge. God has taken some of the pain out of this because if he doesn't, then this becomes your motivation. You live from this. And man, we make great decisions from here, don't we? Mm. God is causing me to forget some of the most painful things of my past. And this is true grace from God. This is, that is grace from God. Joseph had forgotten his dreams at this point, but God was causing him to forget some of the deep woundedness of his heart. I began to pray this. I began to pray that God would, as I'm reading Joseph and putting myself in, God, please grant me some Manasseh. Grant me some of this forgetting. Gra grant me Manasseh, Father. Because that list caused me nothing but anger and bitterness and revenge and sadness but as God began to work in my heart and I began to turn my heart over to him and, and be honest about these things, Manasseh began to grow in me and the bitterness I had to those who betrayed me, I began to start to let it go. Yeah, I still know what they did. They still did it and I still had to live in the reality of it, but I began to let the bitterness and the revenge go. I, I found that I didn't want revenge for them, but instead what I found growing in me most was not revenge for them, but I wanted redemption for myself. And if I was going to move forward in life, I wanted to be different. 
slowly God began to take the pain of the loss of this column away from me. Not now entirely, totally, no. And in fact, if I had a bad day and I sat there and dwelled on it all, of course I sank back down into the pit. But I found myself being able to stand and walk and function without this dominating reality of all that was cost and left. Manessa is a gift that God gives you in the present that begins to pull out the sting, pull out the bitterness, pull out the bile and the venom of the things that have happened in our past and the shame that follows us. The second son, he, he named Ephraim. Joseph said, Ephraim means it's because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. In the margins of my loss, God began to grow something new. God began to make me fruitful even in, my, in those areas. Orchard, many of you have experienced Ephraim. You know those times where something terrible happens, something terrible hits, and you have a peace that surpasses understanding. Now, not always, but we've experienced some Ephraim. Those places where we are the absolute weakest and yet somehow in those moments, God shows up with strength. It's in those moments where, where our character begins to bear fruit in the midst of pain. Our character begins to bear fruit in the midst of loss. It's when our faith begins to bear fruit in the midst of what we're going through that God gives us Ephraim, the ability to, to grow in the land of our suffering. We have Manasseh, taking the sting out of the past, and Ephraim bearing fruit in the midst of loss. And my question is, where do you need Manessa today? Oh, some of you have walked in this room carrying a lifetime of shame. Hmm. Yeah, that abuse that was done to you decades ago, that's still, that's still on you. That, 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 place you were cast aside or whatever that circumstance, that divorce, whatever you've been through, that diagnosis, you carry that into this place. Where do you need Manessa today? To where God begins to work his grace and glory into your past to remind you you're not defined by what was done to you. You're defined by him. You're not defined by what you've even done. You're defined by what he's done. The Bible has a promise for this. It's 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Anyone who belongs in Jesus, anyone who comes to Jesus is a new creation. The old life is gone. The new life is begun. And, and, and the promise of Jesus is this. One of the things that he wants to take from you is the shame and sting of your sin. Now, we still like put it back on and remind ourselves, but that's, he wants us to live apart from that. We don't have to live in the reality defined by our nightmares in our past anymore. Where do you need Manessa in your life? Where do you need Ephraim in your, in your story? Where do you need Ephraim? That in the, in the place of your suffering, God's gonna do something great. I'm gonna skip to Romans 5. There's so many places in the New Testament that talk about Ephraim. But this one says this, we can rejoice when we run into problems. Now, try that one on. We can rejoice. James says, count it all joy whenever you face a trial. Like these guys are just wild, right? Count it rejoice. Count it joy when you run into problems and trials because you know... The Ephraim, they grow in you something. They grow and develop endurance. Uh, they depthen your faith and endurance develops into what? Strength of character. You're growing strength of character in the land of your suffering. And character strengthens our confidence, our hope of salvation that someday God will take this from us. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. The hope of Jesus' salvation doesn't lead to disappointment for we know how dearly he loves us and he's given us his Holy Spirit. God wants to grow something in you in the midst of your suffering. 
Manasseh and Ephraim, forgetting and growing in the midst of circumstances so that you can obey and step out in faith. You know, it was years ago, my son Elijah was baptized right over here. He was a little guy and he had come to know Jesus and he wanted to be baptized and we forgot to put the heater in there and it was cold that morning. And that's not a huge deal for some people, but I know my son. And I was like, Amy, I don't know how this is gonna go. He's pretty sensitive to changes. And so here we are in front of everybody. Big 10 o'clock service. My son steps in and his eyes go bing. And I'm like, here we go. (laughs) We're in it now. He walks out there and begins to sit down and goes, daddy, no. (laughs) And I'm like, everybody's watching. And there's no way I'm going to force my son. You get in there, get baptized right now. (laughs) You get your head in there. No, 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 none of that. Turn off my mic and... No, no, this is, his, this is his journey. I released that. And he starts to walk out, and I said, buddy, we can wait till later. So we can do it now. It's up to you. You ask God. And you guys, if you were here that day, you didn't get to see what I saw because I was on this side, and he was turned toward me, and he looked down at that water, and he sat there for like two heartbeats, two seconds, three seconds, and he goes, I'll do it. And he, he gets in, and we go forward, and I'm like, looking at my wife, and we baptize him, and we go crazy. On the way home, I go, Elijah, what, what happened up there? Like, how? I said, and I said, buddy, I watched your face. What went through your heart at that moment where you made the decision? He goes, well, Daddy, I asked God, and he spoke to me. I said, what did he say? He goes, you can do it. And I said, well, bud, but you got back in and did the, water, did the cold water bother you, bother you anymore? And he goes, well, daddy, it wasn't cold after that. Now, I was there. I know that the water was still cold. But here's the point. All we want God to do is change our circumstances. But sometimes God wants to grow something in us so big, so deep, that it changes us to go through them. Sometimes God changes the temperature of the waters around us, but sometimes God changes the temperature of our heart and faith to withstand it. And we pr- all we pray is, God, get me out. God, get me out. And God wants to get something into you so that you can obey and walk forward in faith. My son didn't know the water. To this day, you know, God changed the temperature of the water. God changed the temperature of my son's heart. And in faith, when he stepped out, God met him there. God wants to, listen, we want to change our circumstances, but God wants to change us in the midst of them. That's Manasseh, forgetting the coldness and the darkness of the the circumstances so that by God's grace, you can step out in faith. That's Ephraim, that he grows something in you that even in the darkness and the coldness, you have a faith so strong, I will step out. Genesis 5, 50, 20, it was intended to harm me, but God used it for good in the saving of many. That first part of the sentence, what was intended to harm me, You know these things. On one side, all the things we've lost, what was intended to harm me. Other people's names, other people's actions, things I've done, things they've done, things done to me. And here's here's a childhood, here's my 20s, here's my college days, my fraternity days. I mean, like, this stuff is just full of bad decisions and things done to me that are loss. And, 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 And these are the things intended to harm us. That's the first part of that sentence. And if the story ended there, that would be a tragic story. And Joseph's life would never be in the Bible. But there's two words after that, that change everything but God. Life intended to harm me. 
but God. And when you enter those two words into your life, what comes next is in his hands. What comes next has to stand on his promise that he does actually turn all things to the good to those who love him and are called by him. What comes after but God is Manasseh and Ephraim. What comes next is redemption and breakthrough. Listen, I, I used to be this but God. I used to be defined by my sin and my shame and my, what was abused and all those things, but God. I believed I was trapped and could never change, but God. But, but I live in bitterness because of the betrayal, but God. I'm trapped by anxiety and depression, but God. I was down in the pit, no purpose, a prison of sin and shame, but God. He used those things for good in Joseph's life and people were saved. That's what I want you to learn from, from Joseph's life. And that's why I've opened up my own story that maybe for myself as well, that in Joseph's life, the hardships worked out for good and many were saved. And, and that through maybe what God has done through my life and all that I have lost and been through, that I can tell you God's worked it for the good. And my hope is that many will be saved because of my story. But it doesn't end there because I hope many are saved because of your story. You're gonna talk to people who I will never talk to. You're gonna speak to people who are in pits that I was never in. And you can tell them of a good God and point to Jesus and they can receive salvation because you opened your life from what you've been through. That yes, life harmed you, but, but God used it for your good and the saving of people around you. I was told my story would someday be the strength, my suffering would be my strength and that God would use my story. And so in this series, I decided to completely open up. And, and God did, as I was thinking through, I was driving in this morning and this occurred to me. Um, was it worth it? Yes. Yes, it's been worth it. I, w- I sit there looking at my wife and my children and my life that I have now and the redemption of my heart the man I am today that I wasn't in my 20s and 30s, I would go through every bit of it again. I would go through the betrayal. I would lose everything. I would cry into the carpet. I would, I would go through it all again. It was worth it. But one thing God did is he didn't just like add in a bunch of good things over here that somehow tipped the scales. God did something I didn't expect and something I probably wouldn't have believed. So I don't expect you to believe me is he began to take these things, these worst parts of my story, the ones that I've been talking about in front of you and talking about, using, uh, you talking about, and God moved them over here. As I have used my story to tell people what happened to me, and I've seen them receive Jesus, wow, it, it, it moved my pain into an area I don't know what to do with. In God's miraculous economy, he takes the worst parts of our life and redeems them, uses them for our good, and then through that, causes good for others, and it's worth it. And I I know it's hard to hear. Uh, I don't know if you would say, oh, pastor, I'm with you. It's all worth it, because you might be where I was earlier, and it's just all pain. And I'll say this. You can't erase your past, but God is still rewriting, and he's still writing your future. He's still writing. I found redemption in the story of Jesus. Sorry, in the, in the story of Joseph. But in, do you know in reality, Joseph is just a foreshadowing of true redemption. Do you know Joseph is just foreshadowing of Jesus? 
Let, let, just let me go through this real quick. Joseph and Jesus, both favored sons of their father. This is my son who I'm well pleased, the robe of many colors. They both had destiny of authority in their future that people would bow before them, that every tongue confess and every knee bow. Both were at one point wrapped in, in favor of their father. Both were mocked by their family. Joseph and Jesus betrayed by someone close to them. And Judah is the same name as Judas, Hebrew and Greek. Both were sold for pieces of silver. Both were turned over to Gentiles. Both were cast down. Jesus, Jesus humbled himself to as a servant. Judas, sorry, Joseph sold as a slave. Both falsely accused. Joseph falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Jesus falsely accused by the high priest. At the age of 30, Joseph rises to authority for his purpose. At the age of 30, Jesus rises into ministry for his purpose. Joseph had a destiny to save the people from famine and calamity. Jesus was sent to save all people from destruction. Joseph was in front of his brothers and no one recognized him. And Jesus come and came and stood before his brothers and sisters in that context of the Hebrew time. And, and they didn't recognize him as Messiah. They didn't know it was him. Joseph raised to the right hand of Pharaoh and Jesus raised to the right hand of God. Joseph providing grain for the people. Jesus our provision for all people. Joseph had salvation in storehouses for those who would come near and pay. But Jesus paid for a storehouse of salvation for any who would come to him. Joseph was revealed to those who rejected him and Jesus will someday reveal himself to all people. When Joseph's brothers realized who he was, they, they came to him humbly and asked forgiveness. And when anyone recognizes Jesus for who he is and comes to him, he gives them forgiveness. The question is, do you recognize Jesus for who he is? Jesus is, the, is what changes the entire narrative of your life. Jesus is the true Manessa working in your past to take the sin to give you forgiveness in your past. Jesus is the true Ephraim, giving you peace and favor in your present. Jesus is true redemption, giving you hope in your future. And Jesus, true life change happens. And he takes the worst of our margins of loss and puts glory in our story and changes what we thought was a, a tale of, a, of pain into a tale of redemption. Will it all be worth it for you someday? I pray it is. Some of you have already been through so much and you say, I'm with you. It's worth it. But some of you, like Joseph, he could never have imagined it. I could never have imagined it was worth it either. But someday, someday, and I hope it's today, some of you can say, what was meant to destroy me, but God, he used to build me, to birth in me, to prepare me, for a breakthrough in what's next. Let me pray for you. Father God, you are not done writing our stories yet. And Father, many of us have put a period where it says life has harmed me. But there's no period in when you write, Father. There's a comma that says, but God. So I pray that today, for those who walk in here in, in shame and sin, that you would show them forgiveness and hope. Father, for those of who walk in here just needing something, some light, Father, I pray you would reveal yourself. I pray you let us know you are not done moving in our stories. For you are all-powerful, and you are a great God. And we're going to worship you now as we take communion. In Jesus' name. And everyone said...